back to the sermon podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. We're happy to welcome you back. In the wake of yet another racially motivated mass shooting in the United States, we are experiencing again what has become a familiar cycle of grief and recrimination with the rising tide of white supremacist ideology that is sweeping the globe. The need to have difficult conversations about our history of racism is greater now than it has ever been. However, meaningful conversation in the public square seems to have been fully overcome with what more resembles ideological cage matches. Old fears and wounds have been torn open and we seem more motivated to protect our interests than to build a world that makes space for all of humanity. One of the realities that we are reckoning with is the truth that the church has done more to perpetuate this cycle than to break it and be a catalyst for building the beloved community envisioned by Jesus. Our scripture this week from Acts 11 reflects the difficulty the church has had with breaking old cycles of division. As Peter stands before the council in Jerusalem to bear witness to how the Holy Spirit is at work beyond Judaism into the Gentile world, He is confronted by old racist tropes about Gentiles. Instead of arguing, Peter speaks of his first-hand experience with how God's Spirit is being poured out without partiality even to Gentiles. His conclusion is that he is not willing to hinder the work of God as the Gentiles are receiving the Spirit in the same way that they had. With all that continues to plague the church and the world, what walls could we break down if we fully embraced and committed to the reconciling love of God? Our scripture reading today comes from Acts 11, 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up from Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, what did you, Why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us that he had seen an angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had in the beginning. And I remembered the words of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
If then God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying. We are listening. Friends, I would invite you to pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, over the last few years, we have come to find ourselves living in a really, really strange time in the public square. You know, this thing that we used to call policy disagreements or differences of opinion or differences in priorities now in the public square look a lot more like a cage match. Uh, fighting. It's not just simply what's better, what's a better policy solution, what's a better opinion, what gets us where we need to be. It really becomes good and evil. It's this existential uh, fight good or evil. And, and the rhetoric around it is becoming, day by day, is becoming more and more and more inflammatory. And the, the, the divisions are becoming more and more entrenched. Now, I suspect that this is probably not news to any of you, okay? That if you followed any kind of news, you, you see this. Um, and I know in conversations that I have with, with many of you, you, you feel this this angst, you feel the struggle, you feel this pain very deeply because you, you see that the, the, that the fighting, the vitriol doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't move the needle on the needs of our community at all. All it does is it keeps us at each other's throats, literally and figuratively. Now, I would love to be able to say that this space, uh, the church, is a refuge from all of that. This is our, our safe place, right? But the reality is the nature of who we are as human beings, all of that stuff that winds our stem out there, we, we bring it with us when we come. We bring the fear, we bring the anxiety, we bring the angst, we bring the frustration, we bring it all with us. So what are we to do? You know, we live in this world that's becoming increasingly polarized, but the thing that we need to remember in all of this is, I, I won't say never because somebody will always be able to, you know, really dig deep and say, that, well, this proves you wrong. So I'll just say rarely, very rarely, will we ever find the gospel at one of these culturally created polar opposites. The gospel doesn't, doesn't deal in polar opposites. The gospel is neck deep in all of the complexities. See, this is one of the things that, that, that gets missed in this polarized fight. It doesn't leave room for nuance. 
It doesn't leave room for context. And it doesn't leave room for that all-important idea of complexity. Human existence is a complexity that is really at its depth unfathomable for most of us. And the gospel dives into that neck deep in all of that complexity. And that, that's the way Jesus taught. We talked about it last week. Just tell us plainly. The Jewish leaders, just tell us plainly, are you the Messiah or not? And Jesus says, well, no. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you plainly, but here. Here's a clue for you. The things that you've seen and heard about, the teaching, the healing. It is widely recognized and was widely recognized at Jesus' time that only by the power of God could somebody to do those things. Somebody do those things. So, bang, there's your answer. The gospel deals and wrestles with us as we wrestle with all of the complexities. And what happens from a, from a faith standpoint is when we allow ourselves to fall into this kind of cultural maelstrom of a polarized community, the gospel of grace gets trampled in the process. If we find ourselves so wound up by all of that, we diminish our own ability to be a means of grace. And when I say a means of grace, I want to specifically talk about a ministry that Paul talks about as he's writing to the Corinthian church. A ministry of reconciliation. We, don't, we, we, we love the grace idea. We love the love. We love the renewing. We love the transformation. Sometimes we don't talk enough about reconciliation because reconciliation is hard work. It requires something of us that particularly in this day and age is extremely, extremely difficult to do. It means we have to sit across the table from someone, someone with whom we vehemently disagree. But that's what reconciliation is about. And this ministry of reconciliation that Paul talked about was specifically within the context of the, 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 the issue that's, that is at the heart of the text that we share today. I'll get into that in a little bit. But in this idea, when, when grace is trampled, and when our ability, um, our desire even, to be ministers of reconciliation is diminished, in that space, there's always a call that the gospel of Jesus Christ calls us to something different, a different way, not right or left, blue or red, American or somebody else, calls us to live with people, all people, in the complexities. And that means that we have to be willing to bring our own issues to the table for that healing and reconciling work to be happening within us. You probably remember or have heard me um, use the idea and the concept that the, that the kingdom of God can be revealed in us, but just as importantly, through us. It's both of these things happening. 
And, you know, the context in which Jesus is doing this is it's a, we, we need to do a little unpacking. Because within Judaism, there was this, this, this real sense of separation and division from anybody that wasn't Jewish. Read Gentiles. It was, it was very binary. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And then there was this little area, this little gray area of people who had been Gentiles. They weren't born Jews, but they were trying real hard. They would, they would convert. They would circumcised. They would go to temple. They would make sacrifices. But they would never truly, really be Jews like the people who were born as children of Abraham would identify with. So there was always this sense of division and separation. And it became pretty hard. In, in, in some respects, today we might make, the, make the, um, the characterization that it was racist because, I mean, the, their, their, um, their dividing line really was a race-based thing. It was a DNA genetic-based thing. And so they created this around the food laws, around eating. I mean, you would be unclean. You couldn't go to temple without making a sacrifice to get clean than to go and make your other sacrifices. If you ate with a Gentile, you were unclean. It was, it was, it was a threat. It was like the sword of Dam Damocles hanging over people's heads, especially people who might be poor and couldn't afford the sacrifice to get themselves clean before they went and made their other sacrifices. So it was easier to just stay away. Stay away. So it was rare that Jews would engage, particularly around table fellowship with Gentiles. But here's the thing. Jesus did all the time. Jesus ate with the spectrum of people who were thought to be and seen to be unclean. And the disciples participated in this, and they watched this. They were, they, were, they were woven into the fabric of this reconciling love where Jesus is trying to build this community beyond the microcosm of Judaism and to recognize that the reconciling grace of God, this transformational work that God is always doing in our midst, is open to all. And all means all. That's the hard part for us. Because we have a difficult time letting go of these, these ancient hurts that we sometimes nurse. So we enter into the text today. It kind of took a long way to get there, but the context is important. Because Peter, remember old brash Peter, our good friend Peter, that, that, that was often a little thick in the head, often spoke before he had full understanding. Peter, in chapter 10 of Acts, has this vision from God with all of these animals, clean and unclean. Go and eat. And Peter, Peter, it's funny in this vision, says, I've nothing unclean has ever passed my lips. Right. That, that's just... I mean, I get it, but that, that's just not an accurate statement. Even if you only take the three years that he was, was with Jesus. okay. But for the purposes of this, Peter is trying to be simultaneously 
a, a devoted disciple of Jesus and a good Jew, which would create conflict. But God says, no, 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 don't worry about that. What I've made clean is clean. In other words, knock yourself out. Smorgasbord time. Go eat. It's okay. He wakes from this vision. There's a knock on the door. And the call to go to Joppa. To go to Cornelius, who is not just a Gentile, but he's a Roman. And not just a Gentile Roman, but a centurion of the Italian cohort. I don't know. Roman special forces might be a corollary. Go! Go, and he, so he, he loads up. He takes six people with him. He goes and he finds Cornelius. And in that moment, Cornelius is seeking faith. And there's this amazing spiritual moment that Peter even describes in, in to the council in Jerusalem of, of what happens. That the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that got them all on Pentecost, the same Holy Spirit where they were starting to preach in languages that they did not know, proclaiming God's mighty acts, the same Pentecost where 3,000 people heard this message in a language that made sense to them and became disciples, boom, on the spot. Okay, That same experience is poured out on Cornelius and his family. And Peter's going, whoa. And he has this moment of clarity. And he says, surely God shows no partiality. It's that moment of internal reckoning, reckoning to say, Jesus was right. Jesus was right. The fullest expression of, of not just the gospel, but the law and the prophets, our relationship with God, is about building this community, about being in this reconciling relationship with God and with one another. God shows no partiality. So he goes back to Jerusalem in the, in the text that, that Scott read for us. And he comes before the council, he's called before the council, because the council heard about what happened in Joppa. They had heard that he'd been preaching to the Gentiles and, what's the, and that the Holy Spirit, that they had come to faith and that the Holy Spirit had gone upon them. And what was their first comment? It was a racist comment. How can you go and eat with those uncircumcised people? They were more concerned about that, that Peter broke the rules, than the recognition and the ability to understand what it is that God had just done. What the Spirit had just brought into being. What had birthed. I mean, it should have been a clarifying moment for all of them without this burden of the ancient animosity. Hmm. Well, truthfully, that story gets told in every generation in some way, shape, or form. So Peter goes through very patiently. He doesn't really argue with them, but he says, okay, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and we did this, and bang. And he said, I, I, I can't hinder this. If, this is, if the Holy Spirit is being poured out for them, enabling them to do the same things that, it, that happened for us, 
then who am I to hinder God? That's a really good question, isn't it? Who am I to hinder God? If this is the way the Spirit moves, if this is what is on God's agenda, who am I to hinder it? Which leaves Peter, the council, you know, which, by the way, again, remember, Peter lays this out, and you just see them go, they are quiet. They are silenced. You know, you know that kind of silence that's, that's equal parts awe and shame because you realize, ooh, whoa, adventures in missing the point, right? So here they are in this moment with a choice to make. Do they, do they do the same thing that Peter did? Or do they hold on? They hold on to the hurts. They hold on to the animosity. They hold on to the anger. They hold on to all of the things that, 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 that get wound up within us as we think about all of the stuff that goes on in the community and the world around us. Or do they open themselves up yet again to a deeper expression of the Holy Spirit? A deeper expression and experience of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. You know, a relationship with the Holy Spirit is a lot like doing a dance. We dance with the Holy Spirit. And in case you're wondering, the Spirit always leads, okay? Which means we need to follow, which means we need to listen, which means we need to be open because what this dance is about is about love. And it is about life. It is about possibility. It is about seeing a vision for our life together that transcends, that heals, that reconciles, that finds a different way to be in relationship with one another, even around the, the most difficult, thorny issues that we face like Buffalo yesterday. Gun violence, the availability of um, weapons, the NRA, mental health issues, racism, white supremacy, just basic hatred, perhaps even mental health issues. All of those topics that we talk about and have created so much polarization have been mixed together yesterday into a toxic stew that's being forced upon all of us. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a different way. There's got to be a way that we can reflect this love that we know that we've experienced it. And as we learn to dance with the Spirit, as we follow the music, as we are loved, as we are cared for, as we heal, and as we reflect that back, there's movement. There's movement for us. Now, I get that, it's, that we don't always understand the movement of the Holy Spirit. We don't always understand the Holy Spirit but remember, the Holy Spirit is a promise. Not just a presence with us, but it is an expression of God's 
promise to all of us. The promise of God's presence. The promise of God's guidance. And the promise of God's strength. Apologize, I don't often do this, but it's dry. And we engage with this promise of God's guidance, comfort, strength, when we open our lives, when we open our hearts, we open our faith to the movement. And the great thing is, is we don't have to fully understand it in order for that to happen. We open ourselves in faith. And it, and it really is a simple matter of saying to God, okay, show me. Show me what this means. Show me what this looks like. And it's, it's partly the recognition of this thing that we have been talking about that the purpose behind this is the idea of reflecting the reconciling love of God. To experience it for ourselves, to reconcile ourselves with people in our life, even people that we might not want to even give the time of day to because we just don't want to go there. But what if? What if this gift, this power, this purpose was something that you deeply believed in? What if it is something that you deeply trusted in? What if it is something that you had committed your life to? If you were able to do that, what walls in your life would you be able to break down? Though ancient walls may still stand proud and racial strife be fact, Boundaries may be lines of fate, proclaim God's saving act. Walls that divide are broken down, Christ is our unity. Chains that enslave are thrown aside. Christ is our liberty. When vested power stands firm entrenched and breaks another's back, when waste and want live side by side, it's gospel that we lack. 
walls that divide are broken down. Christ is our unity. Chains that enslave are thrown aside. Christ is our liberty. The truth we seek in varied scheme, the life that we pursue, unites us in a common quest for self and world made new. Walls that divide are broken down. Christ is our unity. Chains that enslave are thrown aside. Christ is our liberty. The church divided seeks that grace that newness we proclaim, a unity of serving love that lives praise to God's name. Walls that divide are broken down, Christ is our unity. Chains that enslave are thrown aside. Christ is our liberty. This broken world seeks lasting health and vital unity. God's people by God's word renewed, cast off all slavery. Walls that divide are broken down, Christ is our unity. Chains that enslave are thrown aside, Christ is our liberty. Christ is our liberty. Amen. There we go. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from Redlands First United Methodist Church. I hope that it has been a source of inspiration and encouragement for your spiritual journey. If you're interested in more information about the church, we would invite you 
to come to our website at redlandsfirstchurch.org. We hope you will join us in person, online, or via this podcast each week as together we open our lives to the movement of the Holy Spirit that we might grow in faith and be strengthened in the ways that we reflect Christ's presence in the world. Thank you.